Just glad the Ponzo cousins didn't show up today. Otherwise, I would have been in trouble. Good morning, good morning. So we are finishing up James today. It's been like 12 weeks. It's five chapters. I don't know how many verses it is. Uh, but 12 weeks we've been in the book of James. It's, and I don't know about you, but it's been a blessing. It's been a little difficult at times. There's some things that slap you in the face and some things that really encourage you. Um, so I just want to kind of briefly review a little bit of what we have seen so far in this series, um, and then we'll kind of move into our text for today. Uh, when we very, uh, the first sermons we did, Pat and I sat here and we went through this idea that we can have joy in the midst of difficulties. And that just sounds counterproductive. It doesn't sound right. But that's exactly what James told us that we need to do. Last week, we saw something similar to that. Last week, we saw something similar where he said, look, you know, in these times, you need to be patient and be patiently waiting for the Lord until he returns. And then we, we saw back in, in same thing in chapter 1, we saw that there's, there's temptations and trials that enter the, the, the life of a Christian. And one of the things he warned us about is don't blame God for those temptations, but instead, you have to kind of get over and get through those desires that you have within you. Those are the causes of these temptations. And we talked a little bit about um, that these good intentions were not enough. Good intentions were not enough because it needs to be followed by action, and it has to be led by a heart and the motivated by, by the Holy Spirit. And then we, uh, in chapter 2, we talked about this idea of, of partiality. There was, an, there was an unfortunate event with some of these Christians where they were treating the poor with less respect than they were some of the rich. And we, we also talked about these, these arrogant, presumptuous individuals that were probably part of that community at a minimum. And then we, we kind of followed that with these individuals who, who were uh, taking advantage of the less fortunate kind of a callback to chapter 2. So he's talked about a lot here. So when we get into this section today, what I think is really neat, and it reminded me of something that happened to me recently, uh, very recently, um, but we're going to see James kind of pull this all together, and he's going to help us to see how the Christian life should be. And that's what we're going to see today in this section. Um, about a week and a half ago or so, uh, Natalie and I got a, a message from a, a kind of a contact and acquaintance of ours. And we've had a, a good amount of contact with this individual, but we aren't exactly close. But this, this young lady reached out to us, and she said, hey, I'm agnostic. I don't really know if I believe there is a God or not. And she had some experiences in her past with church, uh, particularly related to some of her family. And, and she had reached out and said, I'm just curious about God, and I'm curious about Christianity. And I'm like, Yes. Right, that's super exciting. So, and unfortunately, I'm taking Gabrielle to a doctor's appointment in that moment. So I'm like, I can't do anything right now, right? But and and one of the things I felt that kind of happened, and it reminded me of this section of this uh, this sermon today. The thing that happened is I'm talking to her about God, and I'm talking about God's grace and forgiveness, and I'm talking to her about all these things that she needs to understand. But then I also spoke a lot about you, and about this church and about how my life was impacted when I was 17 years old, and I walked into a church looking like a thug, literally, and, and they accepted me for who I was. And I thought, man, these people aren't crazy. They're loving and caring, and, and I, I ended up speaking to her about that aspect of it. 
and how that, that family atmosphere, particularly that we have here and those relationships that we have here, and I kid you not, I, it didn't take us very long to know that this is where God wanted us to be back in 2010 when we arrived. And I, I felt myself, and I, I, I caught myself speaking about those things with her in addition to all the other aspects of who God is and what he's done for us. And it's been able to kind of allow for this, this dialogue to occur. But in that reminded me, because I, I read this passage this week, and I'm looking at it, I'm like, this is a great passage where James is going to kind of pull all this together and help us to understand, what is that Christian lifestyle like? What does it mean to be a Christian, and what does that lifestyle look like? And uh, we'll see that here. So follow along. It'll be on the screen behind you. You can obviously follow on your, on your Bibles as well. James chapter 5, 13 to 20, closing out our section today. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call on the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed any sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man of na- uh, with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it may, might not rain. And for three and a half years, it did not rain on earth. And then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth before its fruit. My brothers, James says, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So James is coming at us, and he's, he's given us so much information here, and there's really a lot here to unpack. I'm going to try to make it as simple as possible. I'm going to try to keep it as simple as possible. So I want to do that first by just identifying our main idea. Our main idea today is this. A Christian's life is characterized by prayer, worship, and fellowship. Prayer, worship, and fellowship. And not only is that going to be our main idea, but I'm going to use this as our basic outline as we kind of go through this section together. So, and, and what we're going to discuss is really that life of a Christian. What is the life of a Christian? What does it look like in the context of the church and as we look at it here? And one thing I would say is it's full. The Christian life is full. And it's full of really these three things that we are going to pull right out of this section today. So the first thing we see here is it's full of prayer. In this short section, he speaks about prayer so many times. Last week, I had a really rough day. And it was probably me way, way overreacting. And it, I'm sitting here, and I'm thinking about my sermon, and I'm thinking about what was going on. My, my baby girl was sick, and I was freaking out, literally freaking out. So I picked up my phone, and I just reached out to all my brothers and sisters and said, I need you to pray because I'm freaking out over here. My baby's sick. I don't, I don't, I don't like it. I want her to be healed. I want her to be better. Okay? And, 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 and that was like, I'm like, I was convicted by my own sermon so I'm like, I, I need to pray. This is, this is a huge part of what we're talking about on Sunday. I need to make sure I'm practicing what I'm doing, and I need to pray. So I ask for prayer to intercede over my daughter. But, and, and, and he does this too. James talks about these two types of prayer. He talks about prayer in, in a couple of ways. The first thing he does is he talks about prayer individually, so this individual prayer. And he speaks to this in a number of ways. 
you know, and he, he immediately talks to the, the suffering. He says, in the, for the suffering in verse 13, he says, pray. If you're suffering, pray. If you're suffering, pray. And if you really look at it in the big context of the whole book, he's really talking to those who are the ones who were suffering, the ones who were sick, the ones who were going through affliction. He's addressing them directly, but indirectly, he's really speaking to all those who are suffering. And that word suffering could be afflicted or, 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 or other words of that fact. You know, so these are individuals who are under duress and under great, great trouble. And he says, pray. Because what is our, our initial instinct? Let's try to fix it. Especially if you're a dude. All you want to do is fix the problem. But he's saying, look, pray. You may not be able to fix the problem. You may not be able to fix the issue that you're suffering with. And this is a command that James has given to these Christians. This isn't a suggestion. It isn't a good idea. This is a command that he's given them and he, as they're patiently waiting and enduring through their troubles. And the word here is in the present tense. In some translations, the literal ones will literally have it this way. Let him keep on praying. So in other words, he's saying don't stop praying. Just like Paul told the Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. Don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. And this prayer, what it does is it drives us to fellowship with the Father. It drives us to him, and it drives our, 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 our commitment and our, our, our dependence on him. We can praise him when we're praying. We can confess our sins before him when we pray. We can refocus our attention back on him and away from ourselves. We can make requests from him. We can't ask for uh, healing. We can't ask for this to, to pass. And those are the kind of things we can do when we're in communication and fellowship with him. And if you think about how much more prayer can do and the power of prayer, even for those who don't believe and come to the Lord, they can do that in prayer as well. They can also come to the Lord in prayer, and that's when they're opening up that dialogue with the, with the Father. And hopefully that can be done with some of you as well. Prayer is hard. Isn't it? Sometimes we don't know how to pray. We don't know, you know, what to pray. I hear some of my brothers here or sisters here, and they pray so eloquently, and they're so, you know, so so wonderful with their words. I feel like Moses sometimes. We're like, God, I I I stumble. I don't know what to say. Right? I'm not I'm not worthy. Sometimes we don't know how to pray. So of course, aside from just a a reliance on the Holy Spirit, like the, the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans, he says the, the Holy Spirit will pray on your behalf. Aside from that, there are models out there. There are models, and he gives us an example, though, too. He says, Elijah was a man just like you. He said, Elijah was a man, and we all know he wasn't like us, but Elijah, he says, is a man just like you and I. He's got the same nature, and guess what he did? He controlled the weather with his prayers because he believed that God will do what he asked him to do. That's how powerful prayer can be. That's how powerful prayer can be. So there are some, some models out there. There's a couple of models. Uh, one of them is this. this. is a very well-known model. It's the Axe model. That's a very hard word to say. It sounds like I'm saying Axe. A-C-T-S, adoration, right? You start your prayer off with the, with the adoration of the Lord. You're, you're lifting up. You're saying, God, you are great. And then you can go into confession of your own sins because you know you can't be in his presence when you're unholy. And then you thank him for all the things that he's provided for you. And then that supplication is what we're going to talk about here in a few minutes when you're, you're, you're bringing your prayers ahead of him and laying him at his feet. 
I have a very new favorite model, however. The favorite new model I have is tacos. I mean, this is great. Tacos, Thanksgiving and adoration and confession are there. And then he breaks down, whoever created this wonderful model, breaks it down and adds self and others as kind of an extra guide of how are we supposed to pray. But notice that, that self is last in this model. We want to lift people up. And then we say, okay, now, Father, I need you too. Now I need you too, Father. So those are just a couple of models. There's dozens of them all over. If you do a Google search, I'm sure you'll find dozens of them. Uh, Those are a couple I wanted to share. So sometimes we do have a hard time praying. Sometimes we do have a hard time praying. Reliance on the Holy Spirit. Use a model that just helps guide you. That's really all that's for. But in the end, what's the, the primary result and the primary thing that the Christian needs to focus on? And that is prayer. The Christian needs to focus and have a life that is full of prayer. And next we see this, we see this intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer means that someone is praying for you and on your behalf. They're praying for you and on your behalf. We, we see this all throughout the scriptures. Most notably from the Old Testament, we see Moses. Moses continually goes before the Lord and he lifts up the people of Israel. And a lot of times saving them from his wrath. So we see that example with Moses. In the New Testament, we see that with with Jesus himself. In John 17, he prays for his disciples. One of my favorite things about that is when he's praying for his disciples, that means he's also praying for you and I. One of, you know, that, that, that to me is one of the wonderful things. And then we read that Paul in each of his letters tells the churches he's writing to that he, he loves them, he cares for them, but he's also that he's praying for them. He continues to pray for those that he loves, and we ought to be doing the same thing. Well, and, and really, if you think about it, what that means is we need to be in community with one another in order for that to be an, a thing we can do. If we're not with each other, if we're not a part of people's or each other's lives, it's really difficult to pray for them because you have no idea what their needs are. That's why we encourage fellowship. That's why we encourage gatherings. That's why we encourage you to be here and to use our platforms and and messagings and emails so we can know what we need to pray for. Prayer is really important to God. And I was thinking about Revelation 5.8 where where John writes uh, on behalf of the Lord, he writes that that there's these prayers of the saints that are gathered together in these bowls of incense which is an incredible picture. That means the Lord remembers our prayers, and for some saints, he's gathering them up. What an incredible image that we see there. James says in verse 14 that the sick are supposed to go to the elders for prayer. They're supposed to go to the elders for prayer, and that these elders and this anointing will save them. And we're going to touch on that in here in just a moment. This idea of praying the prayer of faith, it indicates that the one who is praying before God trusts that God will answer that prayer. You trust that God's going to answer that prayer, and, 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 and he believes that God can heal you from whatever you might be suffering from. And, and it's a really a way of saying, I'm going to lay it before you, and I'm going to leave the results to you. The word sick is interesting. It's, you, it's the same word that's used all throughout the New Testament. She's saying amen, by the way. The word sick is an interesting one. It, it could refer to the physically sick. It also can refer to the spiritually sick. What's really interesting is, is when you look at the gospel, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, 
it's used in that physical sick way. But when you get into some of the letters, it's really focused more on the spiritually sick, those who are suffering and having these difficulties with their faith and with their spiritual life. So sick can also be translated weak. It doesn't always mean sick. It could be weak. And that's an interesting way we can look at this. Um, and, and so what do you think this is telling us? What is this telling us? It says, look, if you're physically sick, take it to the church elders. And we get requests frequently through our communication. We get requests, you know, can you please have so-and-so pray? And we post it to the congregation or we pray over that. Pat and I meet regularly and we pray over you regularly. Okay? If you're spiritually sick, it says, then you take it to the elders. Now, why do you think that is? Is it because they're super holy? Obviously. Well, no, of course not. Is it because this special oil will heal all things? No. But what it's doing is it's saying that you're acknowledging that prayer is a powerful thing. In, a, in many ways, you're acknowledging prayer is a powerful thing. And, and really, if you think about when multiple people are lifting the same prayer to the heavens, that's a powerful, powerful thing. There's a sense that when you're, when you're doing this, when you're bringing it before others, you're, you're really acknowledging before them and before God that you depend wholly on him. And those are the things that we can do to help that situation along. So I want to pause for a minute. I said I was going to come back to this, this idea of oil and, and the prayer of the, of the elders. If you were to read verses 14 and 15, and if you read it in a way, and some have done this where they think, oh, this oil and these prayers are going to save me. That's kind of what it says there, but it's dangerous to look at it in that way. There are many ideas of what this oil represents. Okay, this oil might just be a representation. So really it could be just a medicinal use as it was culturally in that day. It could be a symbolic use, symbolic of this consecration, because we see that kind of in the Old Testament a little bit. It can be, uh, a lot of people also believe that it, it symbolizes the Holy Spirit. Others believe it's directly referencing the biblical usage of essential oils. I'm not sure if that's right or not, but it could be. But I agree with one. one scholar said. One scholar said this, that anointing with oil or whatever, it signifies is clearly subordinate to James's main concern, which is prayer. The oil and the prayer of the elders, those are not the primary thing that he's addressing. He's saying you ought to be praying and you ought to be interceding for one another or essential oils, I'm not sure. The Christian life next is, is, is full of worship. So earlier we said that the Christian life is full, so it's full of prayers, it's also full of worship. James tackles this immediately, and he says what? Uh, he says to them, sing praise. If you're, if you're cheerful, sing praise. If you're cheerful, sing praise. In other words, if you're cheerful, worship. If you're cheerful, worship. And, and, and there's a sense, as the term is being used here, is there's a sense that it's talking about public worship. It's talking about a gathering of people worshiping together. And this idea of worship really does go hand in hand with prayer. And many of you, I see you when you're worshiping during our music time here uh, in our services, in our nights of worship, in our other, other gatherings, I see many of you just lost in a good way, lost in that, that song and in that music and those lyrics because many ways and in many ways we can, 
we have this as an opportunity just to sing out to the Lord, and it could become a prayer to the Lord as we're singing and worshiping together. When we lift our voices, and if we're doing that publicly and collectively, those, all these voices are lifting up to the heavens in that moment. And really, that's why we are very careful, and I say we as if I'm part of the worship team, but the worship team's very careful about what music they choose. Because it's simple to just grab a, a popular song from the radio because it's familiar, but what they do is, is intentional. Because f- worship is focused on God, not ourselves. So it's very, very important for the worship team as they're choosing music to make sure that they're using music that is biblical and God-focused. And I kid you not, I, and I wish that other churches were the same, and I'm not saying they aren't, but there's one local church that they treat their, their, their worship services like performances and entertainment. And I kid you not, I'm going to read this quote directly from their website. I'm not going to tell you who it is. That's not nice. From their About Us section on the website, we start, our, we start with a short concert for you with all original music, which you'll love. And then we move into our teaching, which is filled with a lot of illustrations, props, clips, and a bunch of laughter. Worship services, church services should not be about being entertained. We want you to enjoy the time here. We want you to experience something great. But if you're, you're coming to church to experience a show and to leave on cloud nine because that was the greatest show on earth, then your, your focus is wrong. It's not about how fun and exciting the experience is. The question we should all be facing when we're in a church service and a worship service is, am I experiencing God? Am I experiencing God? Did I experience God when I was lifting my voices during the preaching of the word, during the prayer time and the reading of the scriptures? Did I experience God? That's the question we all should be asking. And when we're worshiping, we're collectively acknowledging who God is and what he's done for us what we've done and what he's done for us. That's what we get to acknowledge. Back in 2019, I'm sure you remember this very clearly. Back in 2019, we did a a sermon series in in the the, the worship psalms. And one week, we were looking at Psalm 145. And one of the main points that Pastor Pat preached on that, that week was that when we're worshiping God, we're worshiping him regardless of the circumstances that we're in. Regardless of the circumstances, we're worshiping him. So when things are going well, we shouldn't be going through life like everything's great and there's no reason to praise the Lord. We should still be praising him when things are going well. In other words, we need to be giving God the credit for those good times. And a lot of times we forget to do that. And I think that's what James is saying here. It's like, hey, look, maybe some of you are not dealing with some of the things that these other Christians are. Maybe you're living a good life. Maybe things are going really well. Maybe there's no issues coming across you. Maybe you're not being oppressed. Maybe you're not being, you know, prejudiced against. Maybe those are not happening to you. And he's saying, look, so what do you do in those moments? You still worship. You still pray. In those moments, you still worship. You still pray. Be thankful that he's sparing you for some of these things thankful that he's not testing you like he is your brother or sister and then find out how you can come alongside that person and support them and love them as they do and we also we we tend to do that don't we we tend to forget 
to worship God in those good moments. Now, leads us to our last thing here. The Christian is also to be filled with fellowship. Everything we've talked about so far has already pointed us to this, hasn't it? We're to be filled with fellowship. This is really sprinkled all throughout this passage. It's all throughout this passage. It's seen through this idea of involvement in one another's spiritual lives. And we do that through worship, and we do that through fellowship. So James speaks about this prayer and this worship, as we've seen, in a corporate sense. So it's all here. James told us that the, see- the sick are to seek out the elders. And theologically, what that refers to is, is how the church is to be functioned, and how, how the church is to gather, and they are to be under the leadership of a group of elders. It's really alluding to that. So James is a kind of reminding that that's part of community of believers. And then in verse 16, he says that we are to confess our sins to one another. To confess our sins to one another. There is a sense of togetherness when we're looking at this passage, isn't it? And then this verse, as you can imagine, is kind of an interesting one. And it, it doesn't mean that anytime you sin, you call up a brother or you come up before the, the congregation and say, I sinned. I honked at that driver who cut me off. That's not what it's saying. That's not necessary. Really, what if you were to simplify it, it's just saying, this, this verse is saying, look, if you've sinned against a brother, then you need to confess that sin to that brother. If you have sinned against the church, then you probably need to come before the church. That's all he's really saying there. And I think really Matthew 18 sums this up very, very nicely. Matthew 18, starting at verse 15. If your brother sins against you, these are the words of Jesus, if your brother sins against you, Go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he, go, he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Which that last phrase just means... They're no longer part of that local congregation. But what he's saying there, and if you're a parent or if you've ever managed people, what he's saying there is not everything needs to be public. Not everything needs to be public. He says, look, it can and generally should be handled individually first. But there are some stubborn people out there, aren't there not? And sometimes it does require more. So he's not saying to bring every sin You know, instead of using fudge, I use some other bad word when I stub my toe. He's not saying that's all necessary. You've got to just bring that to the Father. If you're sinning against the Father, you bring it to the Father. If you're sinning against a brother, you bring it against a brother. But again, it all comes back to being together. It comes back to having dialogue together. And there's an idea and there's a sense here of this unrepentant sin. Right? When, we're, when we're unrepentant of, of sins in our lives, it becomes a significant burden to others. It affects others. It affects your relationship with God. And, and, and you're separated from God, and your, your fellowship is affected in a significant manner. So he's not talking to non-Christians, but we can really look at that too, because non-Christians who have not put their faith in Jesus Christ, they too are separated from fellowship with God. And if they fail to, 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 to gain that relationship with the Lord and to be in, communi- in fellowship with the Lord, then they will forever, eternally be separated from
from their relationship with God. So they too need to confess and repent from their sin. So I believe there's a, a very strong connection here that we're seeing that this idea of fellowship is really in relation to relationships. Fellowship relationships, it's all built foundationally upon one another. And many of us in this room experience that on a regular basis. When we're invested in each other's lives, a lot of times what happens, particularly with, with brothers and sisters, is we can, we can start to build it up one another. And I can reach out to brothers brother and say, dude, I'm struggling. I can reach out, and they can reach out to me, and vice versa, and we can lift each other up. And as we saw, this might include confessing sins to one another. But what we see in 19 and 20 is it also can mean that you're able to help guide and bring a brother back into fellowship if they have wandered away. And I've seen the fruits of this firsthand. And it is a glorious thing. You know, once someone is able to break away this bondage of sin and this slavery to sin, when they're able to break away from that, they, they, they be, because they're able to start talking to people and they're able to confess their sins to one another, it just creates an incredible situation for that Christian and for the others around them. They, they're, they're given this freedom they're given this freedom that they've never experienced before. And everything they do from that point forward, it changes their mindset, their focus, how they respond, how they react. All that is changed. And during this process of, of healing, they're prayed for regularly. They're checked on. They're held accountable. And, and when, they, when they are, their hearts are changed and they're broken from this bondage of sin, it's an incredible thing. They, their, their outlook on life is different. They see things different. They experience things differently. They interact with people differently. They process their emotions differently. And it is an amazing thing. They communicate in a way that's completely changed. And when God allows us to be a part of that, it is a glorious, glorious thing. But that's only possible when you're interacting with people, when you're building relationships with people, when you're praying with people, when you're building into the lives of others. And that's what James is talking about here. He's helping us to do these things, and he's saying, do this. You will not be disappointed. Your brothers and sisters will not be disappointed. And I think it's great that God allows us to be a part of that regeneration process. I think it's amazing that God allows us to, to be a part of interceding on behalf of others. I think it's amazing that God allows us to bless others with, this, with the skills and the resources that he gives us and the talents and abilities he gives us. Consider what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, Solomon said these words. He says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. I tell you what, I've fallen many times, literally and figuratively, and it is much harder to get up without a helping hand. It is much harder to get up without a helping hand. So if we're not building relationships with one another within the body of Christ, within our local body, if we're not building those relationships, we're doing a disservice not only to ourselves but to others as well. We're removing those opportunities to bless others and, and maybe you could be blessed enough as you're doing that that you can bring back that wandering brother and bring him back into fellowship with God and with others. 
We said this earlier. We said that, that a Christian's life is characterized by prayer and worship and fellowship. So as we close our time, I want to just kind of remind you again, and I want you to think and consider what James has taught us through this, this letter and how James has helped us to see what active faith really looks like. That's what he's talked about here. He never once said it was going to be easy. He never once said that that is going to be an easy process and an easy task, but he did tell us that we would get through it because he is faithful. And, and James was really able to say this because he himself was a man of prayer. Church history says that, that his nickname was Old Camel Knees. That's an odd nickname. But it was, it was because of his posture of prayer was on his knees before the Lord. And, and church history says that he spent so much time on his knees that they looked like old camel knees. Ever seen a camel's knee? But that was his reputation as a man of prayer. And I, maybe, maybe one day I can call you old camel knees. I wouldn't. We can learn so much from walking in, in the same way James did. We can, we can learn so much as we walk in faith. And we can, and that's what really what he's saying is we need to be walking in faith and we need to have an attitude of prayer and an attitude of worship. And that's what he's helped us to see. So Christian, I ask you now, if you're having a hard time, if you're suffering, pray. If you're having a good life, worship. If you're physically sick, call for the elders. We would love to pray for you. If you're spiritually sick, call for the elders. If you have sinned against a brother or sister, confess to that brother or sister, pray together. If you've wandered from the Lord, or if you don't know the Lord, there are many brothers and sisters in this room right now who would love to come alongside you. Return to him. Come to him. Open invitation. If you're a Christian, as my sermon title says, you've got to be all about that Christian life got to be all about that Christian life. As a Christian, that means we have to have a prayerful life. We have to have an attitude of worship and an attitude of fellowship. And we won't be disappointed. And I think James has given us a ton to consider, not only in this passage, but in the entire letter. So I want to just kind of take a moment. Let's just pray about that. Come to the Lord as we do so. Father in heaven. James has been an incredible book for us to learn from, and I just pray, God, that it has spoken to each and every person in this room and that you touch the hearts of of everybody. Maybe somebody is struggling. Maybe somebody is physically sick. Maybe somebody is spiritually sick. Maybe somebody is, is having a great time, and they've just accepted that as, hey, this is how things are. I just pray, God, that we surrender wholly to you in every situation because that is what the Scriptures have asked us to do. So I pray, God, right now that if there's somebody in this room who does not know you, that their hearts are changed in this very, very moment. And if somebody needs to confess their sins to a brother, that their hearts are changed this very, very moment. And I pray, God, that if, if, if somebody is hurting and struggling and they have failed to reach out to a brother or sister, I pray that you change their hearts this very moment. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.